Welcome to the Building Management Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk, and today we're discussing the inherent challenges museums face and how technology is leading the way with Mike Spiewak, Vice President of Exhibitions at the Perot Museum of Nature and Science. Mike, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Shelby. How are you doing today? Fantastic. To begin, I'd love to um, set the stage for the Perot Museum, which, of course, is a well-known, well-respected museum here in Dallas. But for those who aren't familiar with the museum that opened in 2012, what makes the Perot Museum just so unique? I think uh, in the Dallas marketplace, it's uh, amazing and fun place to come to learn and be inspired about science and nature. So it's it's not just a place uh, of learning. It's really a place of engaging with our public uh, and our visitors and, and, and really a place to come kind of learn, but really have fun while you're here uh, and really be amazed by the natural world that surrounds us and how we actually understand that natural world. For Dallas, it's a, it's a unique uh, destination to be able to do that. You know, we've seen over over five million people in the five and a half years that we've been open kind uh, of uh, attest to that, um, that, that people really do enjoy coming here and, and having a good time. Well, I can tell you that the museum itself is absolutely amazing. I mean, you know, it's near downtown Dallas and um, kind of around some um, the Dallas Museum of Art and some other other museums, but the the building itself, I mean, you just see it in the distance and it's it's such a, a work of art in itself. So the Perot certainly has a lot of uh, unique qualities to it. But I understand that um, your background is, is fascinating because you came to working with museum um, exhibits after leaving the film industry. So tell me what you did in film and, and how that how you've basically used that skill set in museum exhibitions. Sure. Yeah, I, I was actually um, uh, kind of wrapping up my degree in architecture school, and I kind of realized at that point in time I didn't I didn't want to be an architect, but I really enjoyed the design aspects of it. Um, I was fortunate enough at that point in time uh, that there was actually a, a good sized film that was uh, being filmed in in the town I was at. It was a film called Tombstone. Yeah, and so for that I, I got brought on and you know, to help design sets and actually build sets. And from that experience, I made some really good contacts and was able to then kind of join the circus in Los Angeles and start doing set design work uh, in the film industry. But it was really interesting in, interesting to me in terms of that that, that work was, is really everything was kind of done to once the, the lights turned off from the, from the set being filmed, uh, everything got knocked down and taken away and, and you were kind of off to the next thing. And, and for me as a, a, in my career, I started realizing that I, I wanted to have the opportunity to um, kind of have something that lasted a little bit longer and potentially had something that had a, a little bit more impact in terms of uh, on my community and, and the community that, that, that I was at. Um, and so I scratched my head for a little bit and, and was fortunate enough to answer really, really totally on a cold call, answer a, a help wanted ad in the newspaper uh, at a company that was designing museums, zoos, and aquariums all over the world. I interviewed for that and, and I was able to bring the skills that I had from architecture school and from set design and construction to the table there and, and worked several years there designing museum exhibits, zoo, aquarium exhibits um, from the Middle East to Asia to, to the United States. And so that was a great experience for me doing that. Uh, and, and so all those skills of kind of designing and, and, and watching people and learning what people like and what people want to do uh, kind of got me to the to the point where I thought that my services and what I could do would 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 kind of be helpful at an institution. I ended up working at a at a um, 
a natural history and, and visitor center in Las Vegas uh, called the Springs Preserve uh, for several years before coming to the Pro. And that was that was a great experience there. And then when I was hired here at the the Pro, it was let's see, it's been eight years now this summer. So it was, what does that make that? About two and a half years before we opened. So I was brought in to kind of help uh, manage and, and, and design some of the exhibits that we have here, along with my boss at the time, who's now our, our VP of, or actually he's our chief innovation officer, uh, Dan Cole. Uh, and so working together, the two of us really kind of worked to try to help shape what the experience would be here for our, our, our guests that came in the building and, and try to learn about science. You mentioned innovation, and that's certainly a big element of any museum, but especially this one, because it's so brand new, because it's so state-of-the-art um, looking, you just expect a certain level of, of technological advancement put into the museum exhibits. So tell me some of the um, initial challenges or some of the, the problems that you wanted to tackle uh, when you came in realizing that this was going to be such a state-of-the-art museum and how could you make these these exhibits the ones that really stand out um, technologically and aesthetically? Yeah, I think as you, as you mentioned, the, the, the building is really an amazing building. Um, uh, Tom, Tom Main and Morphosis out of the Los Angeles, the Pritzker Prize winning architectural firm, they designed the building and, and really set a great kind of a great stage for us to work in. And so, you know, as you said, as you first come to the building, it's, it's something that you typically, well, for sure in the Dallas sky, uh, skyline, you, you haven't seen before. And so just by having that first that first uh, glance at the building and, and knowing this is something different, um, it was really important for us uh, as we worked with different uh, vendors and designers to, to do the exhibits to make sure that we had some of that same sense of awe and wonder as you, as you come into the space. So whether it's saying, you know, an 80 plus 80 foot long uh, dinosaur skeleton in the space, to uh, being able to fly with a bird, fly like you're a bird, or uh, to be able to stand and, and feel what it feels like uh, uh, in an earthquake in our in our Earth Hall, all those things were, were critical to us to really make sure that I mean our our mission statement is is to inspire minds through nature and science, and a big part of that inspiration to us is fun, and to to always find ways that we can hook people into being being fascinated by something, and then wanting to learn more about that. So as we worked through all halls, there's 11 permanent halls and one temporary hall here, you know, and they, they cover encyclopedically all of the sciences and all the natural world, which as you can imagine is, is, is vast. We, we really worked hard to try to find what are, these, what are the core things we can, we can focus on because we're not going to cover everything. It, it, it'd be impossible to do that. But what are those core, core areas that we can do something that people will, will, will remember walking away from, whether it's in our sports hall, uh, which has the, the run exhibit in it, which allows you to run against a T-Rex or a cheetah or, or an NFL athlete, you know, trying to find those, those nuggets along the way that, that people are like, well, that was really cool. That was really fun. We want to go back there and do that again. Or we want to tell our friends about it. So from a technology side, there was a lot that was happening in the building in terms of the systems that we tied into. And, and really each and every of our exhibits are kind of standalone custom constructions, fabrications, and, 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 and to some extent, the software they run are all different. So there, there was a challenge uh, early on in the project to make sure that we try to get things as, as um, systematic in terms of the, the, the pieces that we wanted, whether they were computer hardware or even things as simple as, as, as press, uh, kind of the buttons that you press. 
So there's a lot of that that work that went into it. And then and the, for us, really, so much of the, as we design the exhibits, is the technology is kind of secondary for us a little bit. Uh, we want to have new and, 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 and interesting technology, but the bigger picture is is to how how can we get that story best portrayed in our exhibits? And if there's a cool piece of technology that allows us to do that, then let's use it and let's get it in here. Absolutely. Well, and, and you mentioned the, the dinosaur, these huge exhibit hall sized, you know, skeletons of, of dinosaurs. I mean, sorry, maybe I'm a, a little bit of a, a, a movie nerd, but I kind of think of that scene in, in Jurassic Park where they've got this huge hologram. And so I understand that virtual reality and augmented reality are really emerging as trends in museum management. Now, is, is this uh, is this dinosaur hologram the type of thing we're talking about? Well, not so much the hologram of the dinosaur. We're getting close to that. But there is a lot of, um, of technology that we do look at from whether virtual reality and augmented reality. Uh, and, it's, and it is still really early on in terms of how best to use those in museums. But we're fortunate right now um, in our being human hall. Uh, so a little bit smaller than a dinosaur. We're, we're talking about you know, early humans and, and potentially where they, where they were found. Um, we were able to work with uh, National Geographic Explorer, Dr. Lee Berger, to um, trying to recreate the cave where they found Homo naledi. It's the, it's the rising star cave in South Africa. And in our VR experience, what it does is you put the headset on it, it flies you, you know, from Dallas into South Africa and into this cave where only about 20 or so um, modern humans have been in this cave. To get into the cave, the reason it's so, so few people have been in it is to get in the cave, you've got to be about four and a half foot tall and weigh about 95 pounds. I think there's an area you, you pass through just only about seven inches wide. We've got to fit through and crawl through. But once you get through that space, there were their amazing find was they, they found Homo naledi, uh, which was uh, an early, early, early relative of man. Uh, we're exactly in that, that um, the line of, of understanding where they, how, how it is exactly related to who we are now is, is not totally clear. But that the the Homo naledi, um, they were actually able to find uh, almost well, complete skeletons of these uh, early humans uh, that were hundreds of thousands of years old, and and probably one of the it was made very famous on uh, Nat Geo's cover a couple of years ago. Uh, the discovery was so. What we've been able to do is work with uh, the University of Witwatersrand in um, South Africa. To, they've gone about and taken 3D scans of the cave system. And so when you put that VR headset on, you're seeing what really is the cave. We didn't kind of fake and make, you know, this little cave for you to be in. It's the actual, as real as you can be without actually being in the cave uh, when you put the headset on. So we're finding that's a great tool to kind of bring people in who might not be so interested in or, or knew that they were interested in the uh, human origin story. But when they put the headset on and they see this cave and they see how, how the, the location where they made these discoveries it is our intent that that helps to spark that curiosity and to kind of really inspire someone to say, this is really a cool, I'm really interested in how they do that. How do they find it? So, so with our VR experience, and that, that's one thing that we've been doing. Um, our other area where we've, we've kind of been playing, and this one's really playing and having a good time with, is our um, Snapchat. Uh, we have a Snapchat lens that actually let you, let you place the dinosaur, uh, dinosaur that our paleontologist discovered and named the Pachyrhinosaurus perorum, which which is great because it's you, you can put the little live sticker in uh, anywhere you want uh, with your camera and Snapchat, and he kind of wanders around and, and looks at you and eat a little bit of grass. And 
it's for us again, it's a fun way. This is the science that this is actually discovery that the Pearl Museum's team has made or our science team has made. And and as opposed to the kind of, you know, putting panels up on the wall and kind of doing a, you know, an old school, you know, museum, dusty museum exhibit around it, we're trying to find ways that, that makes it fun and makes it engaging and makes you kind of wanna come and play with us a little bit. Well, you're exactly right that there's kind of old school and new school ways of creating a museum that's that's truly interactive. And uh, certainly the Snapchat filters are a huge way that younger audiences can really connect. I mean, you know, nowadays it's even, you know, my 10-year-old is is always trying to grab my phone to get on Snapchat and see what new filters there are. So, yeah, so I don't think I would get my phone back in the museum if uh, if he got a hold of that. But that certainly takes a, I guess, a dedicated team to be thinking a little bit outside of the box instead of resorting back to the same old plaques on the wall and, and long descriptions. Uh, what other examples of, of this type of out-of-the-box thinking has the Perot implemented to create create this newer, more interactive experience? Well, I think one of the things that, uh, that we've been fortunate here um, is as we've kind of looked at our, our exhibits and we've, we've looked at our, our guests and kind of talked to them about what do they think and what would they like to have happen, one of the things we, we heard in talking with, with our guests was, well, we've kind of been there and done that. Um, what's what's new? What can you have that's going to be new there? And so we've been fortunate here to to find ways to bring new things in as often as we can. So whether it's our uh, ultimate dinosaur exhibit that we have here now, uh, that will then roll into our first ever Dino Fest in, over Labor Day weekend this year, which would be one or two days of everything dinosaur. So the whole building from any kind of activity, as soon as you come up on the plaza to everywhere you go, there'll be something about dinosaurs to learn about or to engage with. So it's always trying to find different things that, that we want to do in terms of on a day-to-day -day basis. But then we've also been fortunate to be able to kind of update our exhibit halls. And so we just recently, this past May, totally redid one of our permanent halls, the, the Being Human Hall. And we're able to start, start bringing in some of that new technology. That's where we brought our VR experience in, in that, that Being Human Hall, because there's a, a big portion of that hall. Our portion of that hall really looks at understanding, you know, where did we come from? What what are our historical roots as you go way, way back in deep time? And so by bringing the VR element in, it allows us to do that along with, you know, a, a series of tactile, uh, hands-on um, exhibits and, and digital screens that we use uh, that allow us actually to do a couple things. This one is to tell a variety of stories that we can quickly update if there's new science, but it also really allows us to, to uh, actually create uh, bilingual uh, content. So those, those right now allow us to, to present the content in both Spanish and English, uh, which for us is, is, is a big investment and in really an investment in our community. So we really look, look to find ways to engage all of our community of, of Dallas as much as we can. So those, those things, and as we do those things, we, we're always on the lookout for, for something that, that might, not, might not have been in a museum before. Or, or for instance, we've got an art piece that's in the Being Human Hall that's actually in our brain section that has to do, it's called the augmented hand. And, and what it does is you put your hand inside the box and I'll do a terrible job trying to explain it on, the, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a radio show. But imagine if you can, you put your hand inside the box and there's a screen on the outside of the box, you see your hand. And all of a sudden your hand suddenly has an extra finger. 
or your hand suddenly has only four fingers instead of five. And we put that in the brain area because it's all about, and it's a live video, so as you move your fingers, your fingers are moving. And we put that in the brain area because it's all about how your brain uh, helps you to understand your body and all the perceptions that you have. So suddenly if you looked and saw your hand has four fingers, what, what is, what's happening between your, what you're seeing on the screen and what you're feeling in your hand and what your brain's telling you? And that was a piece that was, was, has not been in a museum in the United States um, and it's an artist piece that we felt like that was just a great way to kind of, to as opposed to telling you, you know, when you look out you, and look at your hand normally, this is how your body, this is how your brain processes it. So we try to find these fun ways that kind of, again, kind of just kind of make you wonder at times or or inspire you or let you have fun or, or, or challenge you. In your time there at the Perot, you've seen all of these exhibits change and evolve and uh, become what they are now. What would you say is um, is your favorite element of the museum? You know, that's a great. It's a funny question. I get asked that all the time is what's your favorite exhibit? And typically I always say, well, they're kind of like my kids. Yeah. Um, which one's my favorite? And fortunately I have twins, so they, it's kind of like the same. I think. <laughs> they're identical. I, I think as, as, as we go through the hall, I think one of the things that we're really fortunate here is I need inspiration throughout the day is, is I have that ability to go down and, and kind of watch what uh, what's kind of getting our, our guests most engaged in, in the museum. And, and currently right now, uh, I would say we just installed a new exhibit called um, Dancing with Dinos in our Life the Now Hall, which is our dinosaur hall. And what, what that does is it you're actually able to go up and dance. Put, you put a headset on and, and there's music, dance music playing and you're able to dance and the, there's a velociraptor on the wall right next to you, that's a, it's a projection, and it mimics your dance moves. So, and and that sounds fun, and it is really fun. But there's actually pieces that we tie that back into in our science. Is yeah. is there's on the outside of that wall, there's where, where this projection is happening. There's an actual trackway from from Grapevine Lakes, and a trackway is kind of the what's left in the. And it was originally mud when a dinosaur walked through an area, and then it's become hardened over time. We have a trackway from Grape, Grapevine Lake. Uh, that's on the wall that, that is really it's almost like it's showing the dance moves if, you, if, you, if, you, if you've ever seen the old kind of postcards or posters of how, how to learn a dance step it's kind of very much like that when you look at it on the wall and that, that was kind of our inspiration to figure out okay so we've got this thing we want to show which is a trackway what is as opposed to just kind of dryly explaining it like I kind of did just now uh, as to what a trackway is, is what can we do that would kind of get people over there interested and then kind of go, well, why, why, do we, why, why are we dancing with dinosaurs in a museum? And then you start, oh, because that's, how, that's one of the ways we learn about dinosaurs is how fast could they move was by looking at these trackways and the scientists are actually able to, to break that down. And that, that is in our exhibit as well. But they're able to break down exactly how big, how much a dinosaur weigh, how fast it could potentially move uh, by looking at trackways. That's really fascinating. And, and it's, I guess interesting and inspiring to hear the creativity that's being applied to to take things that are scientifically significant, but they may not translate very well on, on paper, so to speak. And so being able to come up with these new innovative ways to explain it to both children and adults at all different levels of engagement. I mean, some people, you know, as you know, go through the museum reading every single piece, every, you know, studying everything. And then others are, are more of a skimmer that are just looking for the things that pique their interest. So certainly uh, that's, that's a challenge that, uh, that you guys face in, um, 
and museum management, basically. Yeah, and I think you, you hit it definitely on the head in, in the sense of as we, as we do design exhibits, we've got to kind of think about all of those elements, all those different guests and all those different types of people that come in and, and how we find ways that, that we provide uh, something for everyone in the family, whether it's, you know, a, a grandparent coming with the grandchild or it's two couples coming on a date night here. How do we how do we make sure there's there's something for everyone, but doing it in a way that that doesn't kind of just try to totally apply to the masses and we lose either the message or we lose the fun of it. Right. Well, I'll tell you my favorite part of the of the Perot is the uh, the gemstones. I think I took a picture of every single one because they were all very Instagram worthy. Yeah, that's a that's an amazing display we have, uh, and we're extremely fortunate. The Perot Museum. It's a it's actually for museums. It's kind of an innovative process that we have in place for our gem mineral hall. Where if as you probably remember, you probably saw the giant um, what we call our grape jelly geode, which is the it, and the big geo that you can actually hand crank your your ten year old, your probably your five year old can actually still hand crank it open and closed. That's really the only piece in in that hall that that we actually is, is in our collection. All the amazing other pieces that are in the collection are all from collectors in the North Texas area, which is very unusual. Most museums you'll go to, they're either they've either got an old collection that's been been in there that's mostly a scientific collection. They have a couple keystone really beautiful pieces. Uh, whereas in our displays, everyone is, is you know, a magnificent museum quality, large specimen uh, examples of, of really some amazing uh, minerals that are, you know, naturally made. They're found in the ground. That's one of the bigger questions we get a lot is, are those real? Did someone make that? And it was all made over, over, over you know, millions of years of time. But that the, again, the interesting part with that is, is, is we were fortunate in North Texas to have uh, really a large collector base here that has, has wanted to engage with us and wanted to share uh, their collections with with all of North, North Texas. Well, Mike, I really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I, I appreciate it talking through a bit, Shelby. And thanks to you listeners for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries. Subscribe to articles, podcasts, and creative video. Until next time, I'm your host, Shelby Skirhoff.